The Fitness Reborn podcast is a companion piece to Renaissance Fitness personal training. This podcast is to serve as educational and entertainment purposes only. It does not in any way constitute as medical advice. If you have a medical concern, please seek out your provider. Hello, this is the latest edition of the Fitness Reborn podcast. My name is Sean from Renaissance Fitness Personal Training, where we put movement ahead of workouts. And my guest today is Scott McDermott. He is a coach and endurance athlete, and he's joining us, I think, from Canada. Is that correct? That is true. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, Scott, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, for sure. It's a pleasure, Sean. It's good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. So just uh, the way I like to start things off here is I like people to give give us all just a rundown of their backstory and how it all kind of came to us having this conversation right now, because I know stuff about you from having from what I've read in your website and your profile and all that stuff. But um, mm-hmm. maybe no one else really has, at least no, no one listening to my program here. So uh, just, yeah, yeah, give us the uh, give us the backstory here. What brought us here today? Yeah, for sure. Well, it's a bit of a winding tale, but it all started out in uh, my first career was in architecture. I spent about 13 years sitting at a desk as an architectural tech, uh, getting into the management side and and managing building construction and tons and tons of stress and eating terrible food and not knowing what I was doing with my body. Like not, I never exercised. I didn't take care of myself and I got really fat and really sick and had all kinds of medical appointments that weren't getting anywhere. And I kind of hit that pivot point when I was 29 years old where I finally talked to an effective doctor that said, you can't, you're not going to live to 30. If you keep going this way, you're going to have a heart attack and it's just, you're falling apart. You need to eat right exercise and take care of yourself. And so I joined a gym. I met a trainer, started learning about nutrition and fitness and everything changed within five months. I had dropped 40 pounds of fat, put on 18 pounds of muscle. I had a six pack for the first time in my life. All my stress problems went away. My allergies went away. My sore back went away because I'd broken my back in high school. And so it was my back always hurt. But once I got fit and strong, had a strong core, my back didn't hurt anymore. Uh, the tingling in my fingers went away. The tinnitus went away. I wasn't exhausted all the time. I wasn't living on caffeine. Like, like everything changed. And that echoed through the whole office because at first nobody believed that Mr. Donut Boy was going to be on a diet. Like, what are you talking about? There's no chance he succeeds, right? They were actually betting against me in a sense. But but after about three or four months, when I started to look really good, people would come up to my desk and go, so uh, um, what are you doing? (laughs) Pretty soon I started helping people. I got certified as a trainer. I started working at a couple gyms part-time on the evenings and weekends. And I realized I really liked being a trainer a lot more than I liked being in architecture. And two weeks before I was a partner in the firm, I quit and I went to work in a gym full-time as a trainer. And uh, I knew that if I really wanted to succeed, I needed to own my own gym. So in 2001, 2002, we built a gym. I built a 15,000 square foot business and I ran that gym for 18 years until until COVID shut us down. And then I made the decision to to let that phase of my life go. And now I work with people one-on-one and I do a lot of stuff online with nutrition, stuff like that. And, and in the middle of that journey, I got into triathlon. Somewhere in, in early 2000s, 2003, 2004, I got curious to wonder if I could finish a triathlon, a half Ironman triathlon. And so I hired a coach in 2004, started training, did my first little sprint triathlon and did really well. And then I did a Olympic distance and then I did a half Ironman distance and I qualified for Ironman Canada five weeks later and did my first Ironman in my first year of triathlon, which I don't recommend, that's a little too fast for the body to adapt. I ended up with mm-hmm. plantar fasciitis and heel spurs and IT band syndrome and hip issues and 
because I, you know, it was too much too soon, too fast, but, uh, I was hooked on triathlon and then I've done that for a long period of time now since uh, 2004. So yeah, that's about as short as I can make that story. Oh, well, that's, that's really cool. So, I mean, you, you started off as an architect, okay, which I, I imagine in some cases is a very sedentary job. You know, you're working in an office and, you know, you're um, just kind of sitting around. And I don't know what exactly architects really do. I have a, an idea. I know what they do, but the hmm. the nuances and the details of it, I don't really know from day to day. But yeah. I imagine it's just very a lot of sitting and planning. hundred percent. It's sitting at a desk working on a computer because nobody draws by hand anymore. So everything is drawn mm -hmm. on a computer using a software called AutoCAD. And it's used, I sat at a desk for 12 to 16 hours a day and I worked most days of the week because we were all, there was always deadlines. So it's super high stress. And what, what an, and I was an architectural technologist. So I supported the architect, right? I was the project manager for the, for a team. So what we do is we do the drawing so that everybody knows every single aspect of the building. Like, some of the things people don't realize, but what, like a $4 million school, I have to make a list of this door opens right-hand reverse, has this hardware, has a lock set, and a, this kind of hinge, and a window or not a window. Like you have to just like, it's this, it's a solid core door. It's a hollow core door. It's a steel door. It's an aluminum door. It has reveals. It doesn't, it's got like all of those details. So a $4 million school can have 600 doors in it. You have to describe every door. This is a janitor door for this room. It opens this direction. It has this hinges. It has this trim. It has this wow. hardware. So all of that stuff has to be done. And it has to be done quickly uh, because there's always deadlines. And so I was in charge of the whole team. And so it's very stressful. But it's it's you're married to a desk. You're married to a desk. So which is sitting is not a great activity <laughs> no no but it has to be balanced out right right so you got so you got into fitness you dropped all this weight you made all these physical transformations and so i just uh i have to think that going from an architect to a trainer it's a pretty big jump in occupations here and you know maybe you know one is n in terms of money one is not as good as the other, you know, it, I, I don't know what architects make, especially in Canada. I don't know what architects make, but I imagine it's pretty good money. A trainer, you know, from my own experience, you, you make what you bring in. Mm -hmm. So it's very uh, almost hand to mouth in that way. So going from an architect to a personal trainer is kind of a big jump. It was, it was a huge jump. Yeah. You, you cut your income in half and then, mm -hmm. Um, and then I decided to own my own business and then you cut it right. off again. <laughs> no, like, <laughs> some days are good. Some days you didn't get paid. So, so you're last on the list, right? All the staff get paid first and then you, you get paid when there's something left. And sometimes there wasn't, but, uh, yeah, you know, I got to that point in my life where it wasn't about that because yeah, if I had made it, if I had continued on in architecture and made it as partner in the firm, then you get options and benefits and vacation pay and bonuses and structures and all that stuff. But like, do you love your job enough to surrender your life for it? Because you are, you're, mm -hmm. you're trading your life energy, your time, your, your existence, you're trading it because we we're going to work for a certain period of time. So I guess I'm, I don't know, 
lucky to be part of a generation like you are that we have value on loving what you do. That matters. Cause I'll tell you, my, my dad and my grandpa, like they just, you just, you got a job and you did it long as you, until you didn't have to. And they didn't liking their job was a luxury. That was mm-hmm. you just did what you had to do. So I love that. I get to love what I do. And through that, I have found my way to, make enough money to have a life and have a, you know, I've got a great family and a great house and, you know, it just through the years be creative. That's what I like about it though, is that my creativity becomes income. The more value I deliver to people, the more I get paid, like the more I invest in myself, like the more training courses that I took, the more I improved as a trainer, the more that I understand biomechanics and anatomy, physiology, digestion, nutrition, the more I understood about my clients, the more useful I was, the more useful I was, the more they were willing to pay me because I was valuable. So I love that part, but I'm in control in that sense. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the the more you're able to actually give to them, the more they're going to give back to you. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, okay, so going, getting from, you know, unfit to fit is one thing. So what made you want to dive into going into things like triathlons and becoming an endurance athlete and all those other things? That's kind of like a, that's a very specialized sort of area of fitness. You know, there's the general fitness where it is where exactly where you came from, where you shed so much weight, put on all this muscle and started Mm -hmm. looking great. But now you're getting into actual being competitive. So how did that actually, what made you want to go in that direction as opposed to just kind of like hanging out where you were? Yeah. You know, I'm a kind of a competitive person. I think most people are, if they, if they're Mm -hmm. really honest, we all want to succeed on our own rights, maybe not versus each other, but with ourselves, people are as a human nature, we're competitive. It's it's pretty genetic, right? We're, we're all competitive on self. Even people that say they're not competitive. Yeah. You're still competitive. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. even if it's just with yourself. And I had gotten to the point in 2004 where I had been, had been really fit for six years and it was great. And I, and I liked it, but I wanted another goal. I wanted something else to chase something else to do. And I have ADHD. So it really helps me if I'm focusing on a goal and there's a, there was a, there's a pressure in the gym industry for a lot of people to do bodybuilding or figure or fitness competitions, but that didn't appeal to me at all. <laughs> at all that just was not my jam like i thought it was neat that people wanted to play that game but getting to five percent body fat on standing on stage and flexing things that just doesn't appeal to me at all and so i wanted a goal and most of the gym world was kind of orchestrated around that how you look sort of thing and i was like that's okay but i I used to run when i was in high schools on the, the the long distance running team um in junior high and stuff. And then I broke my back and then I didn't run for a long time because doctors said I'd be in a wheelchair by 40 and I'm 53 and I'm not in a wheelchair. Anyway. Um, (laughs) so, but this triathlon was in town and it really, it was a proximity thing. Honestly, it was just proximity. Like I didn't know much about triathlon, but there was a triathlon in our town. It was a half Ironman distance. So it was, um, it's a 1.2 mile swim. I got to convert to American because I am Canadian. Um, and then it's a 90K bike, which is about 42 miles, and then a 13 mile half marathon. And I thought, I wonder if I could finish one of those. Like, that sounds pretty cool. And I saw it in town and it, it looked really fun and it was exciting. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that looks really neat. And like, I thought, well, I can 
I can put off drowning. Like I could, I could swim. Like if I go to the pool, I, I can, you know, I could move around and stuff. I, I'd never mm -hmm. swam laps or anything, but I thought, well, I can swim and I could ride that crap out of a stationary bike. Cause I was a spin instructor. Cause I got into being a spin because our gym needed services to offer when we opened. And I thought, well, oh, a spin class is pretty popular. I like bicycles. I used to ride a bike when I was in high school. I guess I'll take that certification. I really got into it. I love teaching spin class. And, um, and then I used to run before I broke my back, but my back was healed. And now that my core was good, like it didn't bug me. So I just, it was just one of those, like, I wonder if I could finish one of those. And so I hired a coach to teach me how to swim and improve my knowledge in that whole sport. And I did my first sprint distance triathlon and I was something like 12th overall or something. Like I, I just crushed it. And I was like, holy crap, this is so much fun. Cause it's so friggin' hard. Like I, Honestly, for the full, the sprint distance triathlon, it's just a little short one because a short little, um, 750 yard swim. And then I think it's, um, it's like a 12 or 13 mile bike and then like a three mile run. Like it's just a little cute triathlon, right? But I thought I was going to die the whole time. Like I thought my heart was going to explode and I really liked it. Like, I really <laughs> thought that was awesome. So the next one I did was twice as long. And then the next one I did was the half iron, which was twice as long as again. And I finished eighth overall, uh, or eighth in my age group, actually. And I was like 10th overall or something. And again, I had a great race and I thought, holy crap, this is my jam. And it started to tie into all kinds of different things, Sean. Like as a kid growing up, um, you know, everybody, every parent goes through their challenges and troubles. And my parents got into the trap of being alcoholics and it, that was their struggle. They're great, amazing, wonderful, beautiful people. And they were stuck in a bit of a trap. So that was what it was. So there was challenges there. And then in school, I got bullied a ton and there was all kinds of different challenges there. I go well into detail on that crap, but who cares? But like, so I had all these challenges as a kid where I never quit, even when things were like super, super hard. And there was all kinds of layers to how difficult all of that was. But I kind of had this never quit attitude that I had developed through all of that. And triathlon loves that. If you have a never quit attitude, that's friggin' perfect for triathlon. And so I just kind of found my home in that sense. I found that place where I could take myself out for a test drive. And it was like the harder the test, the more I loved it. You get to a full Ironman and I just ate it up like a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike in a marathon. I just, I just thought that was the greatest challenge. I mean, the first time I was ever proud of myself in the history of my life was at Ironman Canada nearing the end of the bike ride, going up the last mountain climb, just about to the top. I actually was crying on the bike because I was proud of myself. I, that was the first time in my life that I was proud of myself. So that's a big deal. Do you think you would have gotten there if you didn't have, say, this never quit, do or die attitude that was kind of instilled in you from younger? I think probably not. Um, I, you know, as a coach, I know a lot of people that, that want to do Ironman. They see it on mm -hmm. TV. It looks pretty cool. And then they start. And then the training is really hard. It's 15 to 17 hours a week. And they quit before they ever get to the race. Mm -hmm. I see that a lot because it's hard. Preparing for an Ironman is hard. It's three big sports. Like, you know, you're, you're just training to swim for an hour to an hour and a half and then to cycle for six to eight hours and then run a marathon four to five or six hours. Like, it's a big deal. You know, you're talking 
on a, like if you're phenomenal 11 hours, but if you're average, you're talking up to 17 hours of exercise. Most people aren't up for that. And so, yeah, I, where I came from was a huge asset that whole never quit. And then when I get into Ultraman, which is two and a half times longer than Iron Man, right. the greatest asset there is because not quitting is the deal. <laughs> so how old were you? You say you're 53 now. So how old were you when you made this conversion over to being this ultra fit, ultra, you know, athletic guy, you know, who left one, who left behind one life and was now into this other life, this entrepreneur and this kind of mad dash athlete too. Yeah. How old were you? Uh, I was 32 when I started getting into owning my own gym, right? We opened okay. uh, early in 2002, which was just before my 33rd birthday. And um, yeah, and then I got into triathlon when I was 35, 36. I started getting into triathlon. And um, yeah, yeah. So I was already fairly established in life in a sense, which is pretty typical for the profile of triathletes. They're typically people in their 30s and stuff get into triathlon. Um, oh, really? I, I did not know that. I thought... I mean, I don't know what I thought, but I did not know they tend to be longer in life when people start getting into it. I thought it was just kind of something that people got either got into or didn't get into no matter mm. where they were in life. But av on average, they tend to be older. Yeah. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, so one, as a trainer, you could say, well, that the mitochondria are more efficient as you're older. We process oxygen, fat, and fuel sources better as we're mature, right? When you're 20, your body's not so good at that yet for endurance, right? You're, when you're 20s, you're really good at quick, short bursts rather than long drawn out. There are exceptions, but most people, like if you look at the Olympics and you see the triathletes in the Olympics that are in their low, early 20s, but they're doing a, a short distance triathlon, right? They're they're hammering for less than two hours, so hour and a half in most cases. But um, it's when you get into your 30s, okay, not only is your body more able to handle slow, steady state for longer, like as a biomechanical you know, your, the way the system works, mm -hmm. right? But the big thing, triathlon gets expensive. You start to get into Ironman and now right. you need, like swim gear is not bad, but now you need a bike that's three to $5,000 and you're going to go through $200 running shoes every three or four months. Race entry fees are seven, $800. And you're probably going to have to travel to get to the race and staying in a hotel for a week. So it's not an, and you're going to have a coach, which is three to $500 a month. So it's not an inexpensive sport. So mm -hmm. a lot of people are in their mid thirties when they get into triathlon because a it's expensive, but B they're looking for that midlife. I need something. Right. Right. I need a challenge kind of thing. So all of those factors come into play as to why the, the, the struggle, like if you look at triathlons in the biggest age group, like if you look at the bell curve, the biggest age group, it's forties. That's wow, the biggest I, age group. Yeah. I, I never appreciated that until now. Yeah, that's that's interesting. That is very interesting. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Like, especially, you know, especially people who are, have been athletic before or already into the fitness industry in one way or another, either as just like a casual gym goer or a trainer or something like that. They do get to a point where it's like, you know, once they start getting up there in years, they start saying, yeah, I, they start looking for more challenges. They start looking for things that are going to push them a bit further. And yeah. some of the other, and some of the other things, with exceptions like you know, like you said, the uh, physique competitions and bodybuilding, they 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 kind of they don't seem to really gravitate in that direction so much. They do really look for the things that just seem 
off the wall and mad. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you know, like what running a running a marathon, doing a triathlon, you know, going through all these mountains and these freezing cold waters. I mean, that sounds insane. But um, that's, that's <laughs> the juice though, right? Like you look yeah, at right? how you look at how OCR, like obstacle course racing took off, like Spartan racing. And right I here, love, yeah. I've done, I've done the ultra beast. Like I've done the full range. I haven't done the, the death race, but I've, I've done all the Spartan distances, um, you know, tough mutters and mud hero and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. nuts for a while because people, humans love a challenge. We love competition. We love, and to be an adult and, and to get to play really, really, I get to go play in the mud, climb a rope and a tree and a thing and a grid. Really? I get to, that sounds so fun. And it went nuts. Same thing. CrossFit, right? CrossFit mm-hmm. went nuts because it's, it's that challenge. It's not who can flex their chest the best and who can like, okay. <laughs> you know, bodybuilding is fun to do. It's not fun to watch or like, it's not like, you know, it's different. Yeah, I think a lot of people, I mean, they want, I think they, they want the look of being a bodybuilder without actually having to be a bodybuilder. Like, you know, everyone wants the physique, but you know, to actually, like you said, um, go walking out on stage, particularly for me, go walking out on stage and flexing in front of a bunch of judges and cameras and stuff like that. There's just not enough of it in it to really hold, hold my attention. You know? Yeah. It's not my deal. And the other, there's a couple of other layers too, Sean. Like one is that First of all, when those people are on stage, they're not healthy at all. No, <laughs> which is why, which is why you're hearing every other month or so, one drops dead all of a sudden out of cardiac arrest. Yeah, which has <laughs> other influences, but anyway, um, we won't mm-hmm. get into that whole story. But um, <laughs> like I've I've been at bodybuilding shows. We've sponsored a lot of them through our gym back in the day, and and I've had trainers that have coached bodybuilding athletes and so i would go there as the gym owner to support them and cheer them on and whatever they could barely walk up a flight of stairs because they're so dehydrated their bodies in hell because they're 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 down at three four five percent body fat your body can barely function and they stand up on stage and he's like oh you look perfect yeah but you're not even functional so Mm -hmm. it's an ideal that is ridiculous. Like it's not even, doesn't even make sense that we celebrate it. We got pictures of it. And we all want to look like that. It's not even practical. So what I love about obstacle course racing and, and triathlon is it's also practical. Like I can have a donut if I really want a donut and I, I look normal. Like you can see my abs. I got a six pack. Great. But it's not, it's not crisp. It's not like a six pack you clean out with Q-tips. It, it's, you could tell it's there. And that's, that's, that's life to me. That's, I, I get to relax. I can have a full turkey dinner and not cry about it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, whereas a bodybuilder is like, you get this many grams of that, you get one lettuce leaf and you get like, and nope. <laughs> <Our past>. <laughs> <laughs> That's not my deal. So one of the things I saw about uh, in your profile is that you make this connection between endurance athlete, endurance sports and life itself. Mm-hmm. So, um, I can, I think I can already appreciate the connection there that you've made. Um, but why don't you elaborate a little bit further on that? Like what is really the, what's the, where's the connection point between being endurance, endurance athlete and life itself? Well, there's so many parallels that come to play when it comes to fitness and nutrition and life, because especially endurance athletics, because life is it's ongoing. It's relentless. It's, it's just going to keep going. Mm-hmm. It's going to keep going, whether it's raining, 
or whether you don't, you're not in the mood or whether it's hard or whether it's windy or it's hot or it's cold, it doesn't matter. It's just going to keep going. And so are you strong enough to continue when everything sucks? And that's what I love about endurance racing is it, it's about being in a situation where like, okay, this is really hard. How can I keep going forward? And that's life. Like the number of times I've been in races where it's the, the, the a tremendous storm and it, the, the rain stings your face from the high winds. And it's like, well, how can I keep going? Cause it'd be really easy to just quit. It'd be so easy. Just call the van, get in the safety van and call it done. But you don't, you find a way to keep going. And to me, that's the greatest parallel for life because how in life do you find a way to keep going? That's the deal because life, life sucks sometimes. I mean, I gotta tell you, like when I was racing in, so I did Ultraman Canada in 2011. I was sixth overall. I was 20 minutes from second place in a 27 hour race and I qualified for the world championships. So I went to the world championships in Kona, Hawaii in 2013, had a great race, was 21st in the world. Phenomenal. And I set my sights on going back in 2015 because it takes me two years to afford to, to do an Ultraman. They're, they're a really expensive race. You've got to rent a van. You have to have a crew. You have to rent a house for everybody to stay in. It's a big deal. And I went back in 2015 to try and be top five. And while I was in the middle of that race, I was 10th overall and I was hunting number nine. I was making gains on the leaderboard and I was going down a mountainside at just over 40 miles an hour, 70 K an hour. And apparently there was algae on the bridge deck and my wheel slid out to the side and I cartwheeled down the highway at, at speed, wearing a chunk of styrofoam on my head, which my helmet wasn't tied up tight enough and my helmet spun. And as I cartwheeled down the highway at, at 40 miles an hour, um, I sprained my fingers, sprained my wrist. I broke my arm in three places. I shattered my shoulder. I busted five ribs. I broke my a chunk of cartilage out of my right knee. I tore my MCL whiplash, split the side of my face open. And as I flipped around, I hit the concrete curb and I broke my skull open, exposing my brain. And I had one of the worst brain injuries you can get. And I nearly died. And getting through that, once they had put metal plates in and they put everything back together and I got out of the hospital and all that kind of stuff. Well, now I still own a gym and our province, our state was in a recession and we were on the verge of losing the gym. I couldn't stay awake for more than an hour and a half at a time. I couldn't remember things. I couldn't remember how to use computer software. I could remember passwords. I can remember people's names. I was slurring my words. I couldn't walk without stumbling or tripping. I couldn't put on my own socks. My three-year-old had to do that. Well, he, he didn't have to be offered. He wanted to help daddy, but um, that's, that's incredible. It was a mess. And in that moment of life, when everything sucks, because it did, it was so friggin' hard. How do you keep going? How do you not quit? And that's endurance sports. It's no different. Like I've been in a race and blown a rear tire at 30 miles an hour. You stop and you change your tire and you put it back together and you get back on the bike and you keep going. And, and there are so many parallels to that. How do I keep going when everything's hard? And, and it's a practice. And that's one of the things I love about things like Ultraman because when in work, when my staff would go, oh, Scott, there's a real big problem. I'm like, oh, what is it? They tell me about the problem. I'm go, oh, okay. Well, we need to call this guy. We need to do this. We need that. We just solve the problem. Like, it's not a big deal. 
if you're willing to do what's really hard in life is easy, but if you're only willing to do what's easy, then life is really hard. That is a great quote. I think I'll, I think I'll use that. Yeah. You're willing to do what's really hard. Life is easy. If you only want to do what's easy, then life is hard. That, yeah. that is a, that is a, that's a brilliant way of kind of summing it up right there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's one of the great things about training, whether it's lifting or obstacle course racing or triathlon or it doesn't matter. You're putting yourself in a position of something being really hard and then you overcome it. I don't care if it's bench press or squat or threshold intervals on a treadmill. It doesn't matter. You're putting yourself in a position where what you're about to do is going to suck. It's going to be awful. It's going to be really hard. I might fail. But the willingness to try and the willingness to overcome becomes a practice. It becomes a habit. And then when things are really hard, they don't shake you. Like, all right, it's going to be hard. Yeah. So how long was your recovery after your crash? Oh, there were stages of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was in the brain trauma unit in Oahu in for a week or so. And then they set me free, but um, I flew back to Canada and then they re-x-rayed and in, in Hawaii, they were so worried about the brain trauma. They didn't x-ray far enough up my arm to realize it was broken. And so it's just really sore. And uh, my shoulder, they knew my clavicle and part of the shoulder was broken, but it was so swollen. They, they didn't really assess it. All that well, I guess I could say. But when I got back to Canada, it was all floating around. My shoulder was down at like 45 degrees. And there was all kinds of pieces floating around. And they x-rayed up my arm like, holy crap, it's in three pieces. My radius was broken. And um, so they put a metal plate in my arm. They put a metal plate in my shoulder. And they were, again, really concerned about my brain. So I had a neurologist and I had a occupational therapist. And they, you know, they did a thing called an epile maneuver where they rotate your body certain ways on a, on a compass point to put gravel. There's like little balance crystals in your ear and mine had all been knocked out. And that's why I was so dizzy. So they got all that back in place. And, um, and then I started doing hyperbaric oxygen therapy where they put you in a tank, like a cylinder, they compress it. They pressurize it to one atmosphere equivalent is the same as 33 feet below sea level. And you can breathe pure oxygen for an hour. Um, whereas normally breathing pure oxygen would kill you, but at pressure you can do it. And then the brain starts to heal. And so I did that for three months. Um, I, I, it's funny. I was in meeting with my doctor, uh, at two o'clock in the morning after my surgery to put the metal parts in everywhere. And she said, she was explaining what was going on. I was kind of out of it, but I, she said, do you have any questions for me? And my wife has told me this story cause I didn't quite remember it. She said, do you have any questions for me? I said, yeah, when can I train again? And she's like, <laughs> I just friggin' rebuilt you. Are you, what are you, are you kidding me? And she's like, what do you mean? And I said, when can I swim again? She said, it'll be seven or eight months before you can move that shoulder enough to swim again. We put a metal plate in there with a hook plate under the acromion process. Your humerus won't, mm -hmm. won't move. So that's going to be a while. Um, mm -hmm. I'll take that out again in the summer. And um, I said, well, when can I ride my bike again? And she says, your arm won't be strong enough to support your weight for three, four months until um, that bone hits, heals up. And um, she says, it's got a metal plate in it. So it's kind of strong, but it's, it, it'll hurt a lot if you ride your bike too soon, maybe a couple months. I said, well, when can I run again? She's like, well, they didn't know about my knee yet. 
Um, she said, you could probably try running in about a month. I was like, so 30 days I can run in 30 days. And she, she just laughs. She's just like, yeah. So 30 days later, I Velcroed my chest, my arm to my chest. And I went out for a, wasn't much of a run, but it was a 20 minute shuffle run kind of thing. I was tripping a lot and whatever, but I didn't care. <laughs> I was something. And when I yeah. got home, this is a little gross, but I peed black anesthesia. Like I, my body, the peristalsis, the jostling and the moving of everything, I, I got rid of a bunch of chemicals and toxins that were still in there from surgery. And as mm. soon as that happened, I got my sense of taste back because prior to that, for, for four weeks, everything tasted like I would imagine burnt urine would taste. Like everything tasted horrible. Didn't mm. matter what it was, um, with the exception of ice cream, which tasted bland, but not awful. Um, so all of a sudden, my taste buds came back when all of that went out and so i really connected i was like man every time i exercise i feel better so i started getting back into running and that started to improve and improve and improve um so i got my metal parts out in july and the bones took a little bit more time to knit because of course they had screw holes in them and so those filled in and then i was cleared again in september and i started doing light things nothing really serious but i kept tripping all the time and it wasn't until 2017, so two years later, that I entered Ironman Coeur d'Alene for the summer, and I started training. And I went to triathlon camp in Arizona, and things started to come along. And um, then my knee started to hurt a ton. And every time I tried to get my volume up, every time I went past 12, 13 miles, 20K on the run, my knee would just swell and scream and yell and make a lot of noise. And... Then we found out that my cartilage was severely damaged and I had to have knee surgery because I'd actually had a fibrous bridge between the, the torn cartilage and my MCL. They, they were both damaged in the, in the accident, but they healed together as one piece and then they wouldn't slide. So that uh -huh. would swell up, right? So had that surgery done and then my knee was kind of cleared and five weeks later, I did Ironman Coeur d'Alene. But the challenge there was through the two, two and a half years since the crash, I had, I, I dealt with being not in a clinical sense, but kind of depressed and bummed out and I, I was yeah. eating like an idiot. And right, right. That was going to be my next question. I was like, how did this affect your, your mental health too? Because I know with people who are very active and they're very used to being in triathlons or whatever else and going on runs and doing lifting weights and doing all this stuff that makes them feel very good and makes them feel whole. Now suddenly they're robbed of all of that. Yeah. Um, and as you know, and we're always itching to get back at it. Um, as you, as you were, when you were talking to your doctor and saying, Hey, when can I do this? When can I do that? When can I do this? You know, you know, it, it doesn't just go away. You know, that, that fighting spirit just, it continues on. It wants to get back out there yeah. because it, it really, it, it is really an addiction in that way. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I was going to ask you, like, what did the toll take on your on your mental health from being in this condition? Yeah, that was really hard. Um, it was really hard. It was um, it was a big challenge, and it was hard on a lot of people. It was hard on my family. It was hard on my wife. Um, you know, for a year and a half, I couldn't play with my son a ton the way I wanted to. You know, at three and a half years old, it was interesting. I couldn't go hockey skating. I couldn't ride a bike for a long time with them. Like it was, it was, that sucked. And I, I got, I'm not going to say, well, I'll use the term depressed, but not in the sense where I took medication for it, but I was really, really down for a lot of times. And also one of the challenges with the brain injury is that 
it, it changes your personality a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Because mood centers don't activate the same way. I was, I was jumpier. I was quick to anger. Uh, I had gone from a person who had a really didn't have a bad temper to I had a really bad temper in a short fuse for a while. And I really had to be mindful of that. Like I did a lot of apologizing for a while because I would get really angry really fast. And then I'd be like, what the hell? Why are you so angry? Kind of thing. It was shocking to me, not let alone everybody else. So that was tough. Um, it was really hard to deal with. And I went to food, <laughs> you know, I went to ice cream and ice cappuccinos and stuff. And I, I ballooned up to 227 pounds, like not quite where I was when I first, first started the journey, but I, I got fat again and out of shape. And that was really, really hard. It was demoralizing. It was upsetting. It was embarrassing to be the gym owner. That's not fit. I mean, everybody kind of understood, but you know, I could see it when people met me and they didn't know the story. Like when they met me the first time, they didn't know the story of the crash, whatever. They're like, you're kind of fat for a gym owner. I've, I've had people say that like one guy's like, you're a gym owner. And with that whole, but you're fat, like mm-hmm. that sucked. It sucked a lot. Um, but again, it's just that pure focus of, well, I'm going to get back there. That's my, I just held to that. Like, I always love to say signing up for a race or having a big goal is like throwing an, a boat anchor in the future with a rubber band on it. And it just pulls you to that goal. And I just was so clear. I would get back to the world championships. My initial goal was 2017. I reset it to 2018 because my recovery just wasn't there. And then I had knee surgery and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, it was a battle. It was tough to deal with. And it was frustrating. It was intensely frustrating because I'd go out for a run and trip and fall on my face all the time. Cause there was a delay between where my feet were and when my brain understood that's where my feet were. And it, it right. took a long time to, to work on that. I mean, hours and hours and hours of doing really boring mental therapy, like taking a, a, a flashlight and, and being perfectly still and, and following it with mm-hmm. your eyes and doing mm-hmm. all these training things. And I had to look at charts on the wall where it would say right. yellow, green, blue, pink, purple, orange, green, like, but, but the word was not the color that it said. Mm-hmm. And I had to correctly score, which it was, I either had to say the word or say the color. And the first time I went through that chart in a minute, I got like 10, right. And then after about a year, I could get a hundred, right? Like it, it was, mm-hmm. I had to do neural retraining and stuff too, which just, it took an age and it was frustrating. It was really hard. But again, that goal of getting back to the world championships, that really kept me sane. Mm-hmm. That held me to that focus of I'll get back to this and just one step at a time. One of the things we say in Ultraman is forward is a pace. There you go. There you go. So one thing I have realized when I talk to a lot of people who are competitive and very active, and even if it's not really a, a, a talk about comp, uh, competition or anything like that, um, whenever they run into a stumbling block, like people say stuff to you, like, like what you was said to you is like, you know, or implied to you, like you're pretty fat to be owning a gym. Um, a lot of these people, they, they take that as fuel and it just like, it just energizes them forward. Like, whereas most people, it just kind of deflates them, makes them feel small. Um, they use it to their advantage and, or the, someone says, or some doctor, like you, some doctor tells them after an accident or after a car crash or something like that, that tells them, well, you really shouldn't expect to do much of anything ever again. 
Yeah. And they're just, and they're just like wrong answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so was it like, was it like that for you? Oh yeah. Yeah. Doctor Lee. Yeah. You're probably not going to ever race again. Yeah. Want to bet? <laughs> <laughs> just watch me. Right. It's the same thing. And you know, that mm-hmm. guy that the, the one in particular that I remember that said, you're pretty fat for a gym owner. I'm like, he's not wrong. Mm-hmm. It hurt. It was insulting, but he wasn't wrong. And so then it's like, all right, great. What are you going to do about it? And it's like, well, I think I'm going to lean back out and, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to stop being a doorknob and eating like a moron. Mm-hmm. Not like I don't know how to eat. I'm just letting my mood do it. And I'm having a little pity party. Well, let's stop doing that. And yeah, I just drew a line in the sand. I was like, okay, I'm not doing that anymore. And I dropped down to, to, to one ninety five and got back into racing and stuff. And then I kind of got lazy for a while. And, and when we, when we shut the gym down in 2022, again, I went for a pity party for a while because I kind of had basically lost everything. And I was like, well, now what do I do? Who am I now? And I, I gave myself a deal. I gave myself three or four months to of off to just, we had a, we, we dug into a savings account and a line of credit really wasn't even a savings account, but we went in the hole and I knew we could go in the hole for a little bit and I just needed to decompress and figure out what I was going to do with my life. And, and I was eating a bit too much again. I bumped up to like 209, 210, which I'm not happy there. And then I was like, all right, that's enough of that. Follow your own advice, follow your own program. And mm-hmm. now I'm 185, great shape and feel awesome. And, but yeah, that's, that's the thing though, right? It's, it's life's a roller coaster. It's ups and downs. Right. It's just like racing. You're going to have highs and lows. You're going to have times when you're at the side of the road throwing up and you don't know how you're going to carry on. And then you, you know, you just wipe your mouth off and stand up and start running you again. Just, <laughs> you just do. You just do. I mean, yeah. it's just, you know, you give yourself the idea that there's no other, no other alternative. And once you put that in your mind, it's like, well, what else are you going to do? Yeah. Just, Feeling just keep going. Going to help. Right. Exactly. <laughs> You know, it's like, you, you got to just be quick about feeling bad and then go, all right, what am I going to do about it? Right. Exactly right. Yeah. So talk to, talk to me about, and I think this is a good segue point. Talk to me about living the warrior code. Well, living the warrior code comes from a song from Rocky four. It's just about okay. as cheesy as it gets, but uh, <laughs> it works. <laughs> yeah, it does. There's a, there's a line in the song that says in the warrior's code, there's no surrender. Though the body says stop, the spirit cries never. And the Rocky's in Russia and he's running up mountains and everything. And that just, ooh, I love Rocky movies for a million reasons. But mm-hmm. that just has stuck with me forever and ever and ever. And it's 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 just a great song. And that's the warrior code is it's like, though though your body or other things say quit, you just never surrender. It's that I will not quit. I won't. And, and find a way to keep going. And that's what really, that's why I named my company um, Warrior Code Training, because it's just about living that warrior code, right? Because, you know, like it, the, the song continues on. So it's like, um, in the warrior's code, there's no surrender. Um, though the body says stop, the spirit cries never. Deep in our soul, a quiet ember knows it's you against you. It's the paradox that drives us on. It's a battle of wills in the heat of attack. It's passion that kills and victory is yours alone. That's the song. But that (laughs) really speaks to me. I mean, I know it's cheesy. You're quoting a dumb old song from the eighties, but it speaks to me because it is, it's you against you. It has nothing to do with anybody else. It's about how strong can I become? How can I get through this? And to me, that exists in every facet of my life, whether it's my business or whatever, like 
my business now is I coach people online for nutrition and stuff. Okay, so every month I run a new 21-day program. So every month I have to find new people to join the program. And then some months I'll have a low turnout, which means I don't make money this month, which means it's hard to pay bills. It's like, okay, well, great. What are you going to do about it? You can't sit here and have a pity party. You can't afford to do that. Okay, like, like, how do I market better? How do I reach people? How do I make my program better? How do I do such a great job that people tell everybody and they can't wait to do it? So that's that never give up, never surrender attitude. That's what living the warrior code is. It doesn't matter how hard it gets. You just never quit. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So the, uh, the new business where, like you just said, the 21 day, um, 21 day program, mm-hmm. um, cause I've looked through the website and it's pretty impressive here. So you, you completely left the brick and mortar gym business behind you. Yeah. Um, COVID kind of did that away for you. Is that, did I hear that correctly? COVID kind yeah. of brought that to an end. Yeah. I mean, I think like a lot of gyms. So for us here where I live at March 17th was the day they shut down all gyms and, um, at first, I just was rolling my sleeves up and we're, we're going to do online programs. We're going to do videos. We're going to do at-home stuff. We'll have an at-home challenge. We're going to do all this. But I had to lay off 27 staff and stop billing all my members. Well, I have a 15,000 square foot building. Like, I still have to pay the mortgage. And mm-hmm. even though the bank was like, okay, well, we'll freeze it for a while. Yeah, but you still want the money later. And then, like, the utilities companies were like, oh yeah, you don't have to make any payments till June. I said, okay, great. Well, what happens in June? Well, then they're all due. So instead of paying 2000 bucks a month, I'm going to pay nothing for three months, but then I still owe you nine plus the next two. That's not helping. So there was all of that going on where I did the math and realized there's no chance I can survive this. I don't have some big fat bank account that can have, because my gym building empty with everything on minimum was 13,000 bucks a month empty and no income. And I realized, I was like, even if our online programs are the greatest unicorn fairy dust successful, we still are not going to make it. And my phone was ringing off the hook. Everybody was like, Scott, do you know where I can buy fitness equipment? Do you know where I can buy dumbbells, barbells, kettlebells, benches? Can I rent your spin bikes? Can I borrow? Can I rent? Can I? And I realized, like, man, everybody's making a home gym. People are making a home gym. Like, when we open again, whenever the government comes to their senses again, I'm going to lose 20 to 30% of my members because they built a gym in their basement. They're not coming back. And I was like, this is over. I love my gym, but this is over. And so... Um, at the time people were buying gym equipment, like toilet paper. So I just sold everything. And within two weeks, we sold every piece of equipment, all of it. And I just walked away from it. And that was a great decision ultimately, because it set me free to like, I have a studio in my garage now. So I, I coach like five or six people a week in person, but mostly everything's online. I took the best of the best of the best of what I've known as a trainer for 25 years. And I built a 21 day nutrition reset. And I poured a ton of energy into it. I make daily mindset videos. So every morning you get a fresh video from me um, talking about some component or aspect of nutrition. So the 21 day has a structured number of videos that are all pre-recorded. And then I've got a six week program and then I do one-on-one stuff. And so I've just redesigned, I've redeveloped myself. I still have the same goal. I still love coaching people, still love fitness and nutrition. It just looks different now. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. So uh, the 21 day program, it's, it's, in my understanding, is it more nutrition uh, focused yeah, rather than anything else? Okay. So um, talk to us about, talk to us about nutrition. So, mm. you know, you, there's something in your profile that said um, what people don't understand about nutrition, you know, where, where people are going wrong with nutrition. I think there's a lot of us that don't really understand nutrition because it just, it keeps changing all the time. And of course, everyone knows the fad diets, the beach body, you know, whatever, and, and whatever. Yeah, there's a yeah. dozen of them. There's there, two there, there's 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 too many of them yeah. out there. So I think there's a lot of things about nutrition and eating healthy that re people really don't understand, and it's kind of very confusing and hazy. So give us your take on that. Well, first of all, it's infinitely complex mm -hmm. <laughs> because yeah. human beings are infinitely complex, right? Right. There, there's so many layers. We live in different regions. We have different ancestral histories. We have different digestive systems, like digestive enzymes. Human beings are basically the same. But if, if you took an Inuit in the far, far, far north that lives on whale, whale blubber and organ meat and you tell them to eat a diet from somebody in India that's that's rice and vegetables, they're going to be sick. And if you took a person from India and suddenly started feeding them nothing but whale blubber and organ meat, they're going to be sick because, so there's that piece where you're used to a little bit of where you're at to a degree, but then there are some basics and, and we really try to get back to basics. We try to take away all the inflammatory foods. So as a society in general terms, we eat way too many starchy carbs, grains, um, and sugar. Oh my God, we eat way too much sugar. Now, I'm not saying any food is bad. I don't believe in bad or good. I believe appropriate or inappropriate for your goals. And if you're trying to drop weight, eating a bunch of sugar and starch is adding too many calories too fast. And people tend to not eat enough fruits and vegetables, especially vegetables. And I'm a big fan of lean meats. I'm a big fan of all the macros, proteins, fats, and carbs. They all do a different job, right? Proteins is replacement for, for parts. That's what we build all tissue with. Skin mm -hmm. cells, bone, hair, fingernails, muscle is all built from proteins, amino acids. And then carbohydrates, whether those carbs are vegetable or fruit or starch, that's gasoline. And then fat is slow burn fuel and lubrication. We need all three of those things. And we need to get away from the processed junky versions of things. Like when you go to the store and it says grandma's apple pie, I guarantee you it's not the same recipe, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to be loaded with bad fats and fake things and garbage and the lowest quality. So if you really want to have an apple pie, make your own from scratch. Now people don't want to do that. It's a pain in the butt. So on the reset program, we, we, we follow things like the FODMAP, the anti-inflammation rules. Um, we take away things that cause inflammation. Um, and I, and I get people and it, sometimes I even hesitate to say it, but here it is. It's grain free, sugar free, dairy free, and no caffeine for 21 days. And it's life changing, life changing. I have had people's whole world change because when you distance yourself from the crap, and you clean up and you clear up and all of a sudden you have more energy and you sleep better and you feel better and everything is improved. Then you have some distance. Then you can choose 
do I want to eat that again or do I want to just keep staying away from it? So I, then on my six-week program, we reintroduce things like dairy and grains, but in pieces so you can tell. Well, maybe you have a dairy, dairy allergy. And if you don't, then great, carry on. Um, but things like coffee or, or stimulants in general, coffee and caffeine is a masking agent. It, it, it lets you put on a mask and pretend to have a good day, even though you didn't get any sleep and you're eating like a moron. It, it lets you pretend to have energy, but it's hollow. It's a roller coaster. Like you have a coffee and you feel great for like three hours and then you feel like dead until you have another coffee and you feel great for three hours and then you feel dead until you have another coffee and you're on this, this caffeine roller coaster. But when you take mm-hmm. that away and let your body build its own energy. Like I'm 53, I have tons of energy and I don't take any stimulants, no caffeine, no drugs, no nothing. I don't, I take multivitamins, sit. And that's available. And I feel great. I don't have inflammation. Inflammation is massive. People have no idea how rampant inflammation is. And inflammation causes all the problems. So try to get people back down to good and reduce all those things by eating real foods. Original recipe food, like foods that foods that are ingredients versus foods that have ingredients, if that makes sense. Right, right. What do you think are some of the biggest offenders about inflammation, like chronic inflammation? I think one of the biggest hidden ones is polyunsaturated fatty acids, puffas, um, canola oil, safflower oil, stuff like that. Um, soybean oil is, I'm sorry, it's horrible. It's brutally bad for us. And it's been falsely glorified as healthy and then the opposite is true um there's so much research now showing that that cholesterol is not what they thought it's not how that comes to be saturated fat is actually the complete fat and unsaturated fat is actually the incomplete fat it's flipped from what they've been telling us for so long and i grew Hmm. up in the whole no fat revolution where oh we just have to eat no fat okay well no fat meant high sugar and everyone got really fat so I'm a whole fat guy. I like coconut oil. I like actual butter. Um, I like food, man. I like real food. Like I'm a big fan of all the things. I don't believe in no carb or no fat or I don't no protein, like no animal. I don't believe I, I'm all the things. I like all gotcha. the things. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I know from personal experience, it's kind of we're working with people, even with myself, it's kind of hard getting them to really get their heads around this idea that they might give up a lot of things that they've been eating their whole lives and they're used to. I think there's a reason why they say nutrition is the hardest part of new, uh, fitness because yeah. it, it just so much of it, it is, you know, turning is going, uh, doing about face about so much of what you might have grown up on. And so when you tell someone that giving up all these sugary foods, you know, that they've been ingesting since they were kids, you know, it's like it's climbing up a it's an uphill battle with a boulder strapped around your waist. Yeah. And so I I wonder what's that what is that like for you where you are coaching these people here going through these twenty one day transformations here mm-hmm. where you're maybe where you are maybe now completely upending their entire life nutrition wise. Yeah. You just hit the nail on the head. That's the biggest thing. The biggest problem with food in our world is that it's emotional. It's social. Mm -hmm. That has nothing to do with food. We've built a whole layer around food that is 
an emotional connection, a social connection. When you go out with your friends, you have to eat this. Well, that's not even fuel. So we've separated ourselves from fuel. Food is fuel. And once in a while, it's fun, but people expect it to be this experience all the time. Or, you know, growing up in my world, when I was a kid, um, we had our challenges. Like I said, my dad would have a bad night or whatever, but the next day when he would come home from work, he would bring cinnamon buns or ice cream and root beer for a float or pie or cake or, and, and my dad never said the words, I love you. That was not in his vocabulary. He was born in the thirties and you just didn't say that men did not talk like that. So he never expressed love. He bought us food, junky food. He bought us sugar. We had, we would go out for Chinese food or we would have steak and lobster. That's, that's how my dad said love. So growing up as a kid, my brain hardwired food equals love. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you come home from a snot crap day where you feel like a bag of garbage and the whole world hates your guts and you just want to sit in the corner and suck your thumb and cry. What will make me feel better? Ice cream, <laughs> nachos, like because food equals love. That's our society. We like you think about it as we're growing up. Oh, it's your birthday, Sean. Oh, cake and ice cream, potato chips, and your friends are here. Love, 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 love. Oh, it's Christmas, gingerbread cookies and cake and ice cream and all the, the things you never get. There. Oh, it's Valentine's <laughs> Day. Oh, I'm chocolate. Every single day, weddings, every, doesn't matter. Every single thing we do in our life, it's a celebration and a position of love and friends and social involves the most decadent food possible. So our brain goes, food equals love. Food equals fun. Food equals good times. And it doesn't. They are not related. You can have an amazing Christmas eating chicken, rice, and veggies. Because Christmas is about family. It's about friends. It's about love. It's nothing to do with it. But we've associated the two. And that's the challenge. When you have Mm -hmm. to try and break that with people and have them separate it. I wrote one. The first book I wrote was called If Your Body Were a Car, You Wouldn't Treat It This Way. And I did tons of analogies. Like if you were going to go fill up at the gas station, Sean, because you're driving along in the morning and you got a 12-hour drive today. And you look at the fuel tank and it says E for empty would you keep driving or fill up? You would fill up, wouldn't you? Yeah, fill up. Sure. Because if you don't, the car will quit. Right. We don't. It's not negotiable. It's not. Do I feel like filling up? Right. Your car's hungry. Well, I'm not in the mood. Doesn't matter. If you want to keep driving, you fill up. So you fill up. Now you go to the gas station. Oh, frick, gas so expensive. Not paying that much for gas. I'm going to put in five bucks. And then I got some uh, Gatorade in the back. And uh, here's a dozen eggs. And there's some mud puddle. I'll get some water. I'll put that in there. I think your car is going to run. It probably (laughs) won't. It'll probably quit. The fact that you're not in the mood to spend money on gas doesn't matter. Your car gets gas or diesel or electric, or whatever it gets, it gets that fuel, period. We don't negotiate about it, and your mood doesn't matter. Well, ultimately, your body's the same thing. It just needs fuel. How you feel about it is extra. And I'm not saying, listen, I love to cook. I love to hack recipes and make them healthy, but I also love to cook. I love making grandma's recipe pancakes, which are like, a cup of butter and two cups of flour and a 
cup of sugar. I love making pancakes that just rock your world. But I don't eat them every day. Mm-hmm. every once every few months or so for one meal. And then that's that. And the rest of the time I eat super healthy food and I have the benefit of having a really healthy, happy, fit body that can do all the things without inflammation. I don't hurt to be alive. So many people that come to me existing hurts. You're not supposed to be in pain every day. You're not. And nutrition is the key. People don't realize that, but you have to separate how you feel. Well, I'm going out for my friends. I have to have wings and beer. No, you don't. You really don't. You can have a salad and drink iced tea or water. You honestly can. Honestly. You're going to have to condition your friends. <laughs> because yeah. they're, you're not good enough to drink with us. You're going to have to condition your friends. Or more than likely, you're going to, you're probably going to lose some of your friends, actually. You know, that's, that's kind of the cold truth of it too. It's like, you know, if you make these changes in your life, well, you know, you're going to have probably more than likely you're going to have people in your life that are currently in your life saying, well, this isn't what I signed up for, you know, and they're just going to gradually drift away. And that's just how it goes. You know, I, so it, I think that's another part of it too. Is like, cause you mentioned like the social aspect of nutrition um, once you start making different choices and you're not going along with the pack, well, then it becomes socially isolating in a way because you've rejected a big part of the socialization. Mm-hmm. So I think that is probably a big, uh, probably a big pain point for a lot of people. Would you agree? Absolutely. You'll find a new pack. Mm-hmm. It's hard to let go of the old pack or it's, it becomes hard to hang around the old pack and I think people will be surprised by how much the old pack will be. They'll, they'll be supportive if you ask them to. Like if I just say, Hey, Sean, listen, I'm, I'm having all these health things and I'm really eating well. I, I can't do that kind of food right now. Like, can you help me out? If you're, if they're honestly your friends, they're going to be like, absolutely. If right. they go, Nope, you're eating junk. That's not your friend. And you don't need mm-hmm. those anyway. And that's hard. Sometimes they're family. Um, but, you gotta, you gotta do the right thing for you and, and your longevity and your own, like, this isn't a dress rehearsal. This isn't a practice life where you get to have a real one later. This is it. This is life. Yeah. You're, you're worth it. And if they are your friends, they're just going to understand. And the great thing is at some point they might join you. Like I remember when I first made my change in, in 98, when I started eating healthy, my best friend was mad. He was furious. Because at 300 pounds, he thought at 240, I was a skinny little puke. That's what he called me. He's like, what? You skinny little puke? You're on a diet? What's the matter with you? Because we used to go every week for, for lunch. We'd play pool at the pool hall and have calzone, pizza, and deep fried everything. And we'd just eat like all the things, right? And that was our ritual. And so I showed up to meet for lunch and I ordered a chicken breast on a salad and a, and a glass of water. And he's like, what the hell is the matter with me? He was so mad. And for a while he fought me and he hated it and he was mad at me. And then it took a while, but then he's like, man, you're looking good and you have so much energy and I'm over here feeling like a bag of garbage. Can you help me out a little? It's like, yeah. So I started coaching him and we work out every Wednesday together. He's, he went from 350 down to 190 
We've done the Spartan Whoa. Ultra Beast together. He's done an Iron Man. Like he's living his best life, and he's been fit for twelve years now. But at first, he hated my guts. He was so friggin' mad at me, and it took him took him a long time to come around. Mm. Right? It took him a long time to come around. So, be the leader. Just right. smile and say, "Hey, I really I hear what you're saying. I'm doing this for me. It's not about you." I want to be healthy. I appreciate your support. And they're either going to support you or not. And if it's not, well, then you're going to find new friends. But eventually, if they care about it, care about you as a person enough, they're just going to come around. They're just going to join you. And now they're fit too. Not a bad thing. How would you describe yourself now, you know, being now 53 years old, everything we've, we've just previously talked about, your entire transformation going back to 1998, which is, what, 23 years ago now? Um, how would you describe yourself now? Do you, do you think that you're, do you think you really would be the man and the athlete that you are now if you hadn't gone through, especially that horrendous crash in, uh, 2015, do you think you're better for it now? hundred percent. There's no question. I'm a better father. I'm a better human being. Um, <laughs> you know, this took me a long time to come to, but I love myself and I used to hate myself. Like, 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 like loving myself was not a concept that I could even wrap my head around. I was like, I thought I was a loser just as much as everybody else did. Like I didn't. Is that, is that even before the 2015 crash? Like when oh, you yeah. got, when you got really fit and we're yeah. getting all these triathlon uh, competitions, you, you still did not like yourself very much. That was a long process to learn to like myself. That took a long time. I started that journey actually in college <laughs> in the late eighties when I met my now wife and she is talking about, um, we were in a, in a, a room with her and her sister was over on the far end or whatever. But she says, yeah, I love three people in this room. I was like, what are you talking about? There's only three people here. She says, yeah, I love my sister. I love you. And I love myself. I was like, you can't love yourself. Like, yeah, you can. Don't you? I'm like, no. So that was the first time I discovered that was even an option. But it wasn't until, honestly, it was in the in in the first Ironman era in 2005 and stuff where I I started to actually be proud of myself and started to open to the possibility of loving myself. And it took another few four years after that before I would finally be able to confidently say, "Yeah, I love myself. I'm a good person. I'm a good guy. I like I'm like where I'm at." It it was a big journey, and this was all part of it. Um, self respect comes with taking care of yourself and understanding that it matters to be healthy. Now, was and, that actually, was that uh, tied? Was that people, uh, they gauge their self-love and self-respect a lot of times based on external things. Now, was that like tied to something in particular, like you were now doing Ironmans or was it like you taking a tally of who you actually are as a human being and then say, you know what? I'm actually a good person. I'm actually worth loving, you no. know, uh, despite anything, you know, was that, was that the conclusion you came to that you arrived at? Well, it came in stages, right? So mm -hmm. you're right. At first I, I liked myself because I was fit and healthy, but then when I lost that, mm -hmm. then it became the journey of going, well, I still like myself. Like I still like, so it, it developed, right. As I matured, it changed. It went from, I love myself when I'm fit and healthy to, I love myself regardless.
And right. that's a journey. That whole piece was a journey for the longest time. Like when I did my first Ironman, if I'm really honest, I was trying to prove to my family that I was good enough and I was worthy of being love because not only did I not love myself, I didn't believe they loved me either. And I was trying to prove to my family that I was good enough. And then they didn't notice. <laughs> so then I did an Ironman while I was really sick and they didn't notice. So they did an Ironman that went really fast and they didn't notice. And then I got on team Canada and I went around the world and I raced in the world championships with my flag on my back and they didn't notice. And then I did Ultraman because two and a half times longer than Ironman and they didn't notice. And I started to clue into the fact that it has nothing to do with them. And what they think of me is none of my business. What do I think about me? And it's a very deep journey. And it took a long time. It wasn't a snap of the fingers. It wasn't instant. It wasn't quick. It took a long time to really come to that place where I can definitely say I love myself and I'm a good person and no matter what. And that took a long time. That was a long journey. Yeah, I think you... I think that's kind of the secret sauce right there is just not delaying your sense of self-respect or happiness on some achievement or some goal, whatever it might be. Cause you know, I'm guilty of this myself too. Yeah. Yeah. Once I hit that PR number, then I'll really be happy myself. Once I hit this number as um, or I, once I do this as a, you know, as a business person, entrepreneur, then I'll be happy, you know, because you know, once you start moving the, the goal ahead of you, you know, it just keeps moving. You know, it, it's never it's never within reaching distance. It just keeps on moving. And I'm not saying that I've gotten to that place now where I'm completely removed from that. I'm not. Mm -hmm. But um, what you just said is just is really hitting the nail on the head. You know, for me, it's just just not making it something, not delaying it until you've done one thing or the other. It's like yeah. you have to get you have to just this has to be a starting place, not a, a, a not a. A, a, a finish line. Yeah. And there is no finish line. You're exactly right, right Sean. Like there's, it's, and it's always changing. Mm -hmm. It's always changing. Like there is no finish line. And, and it's about being happy while you chase those fun goals rather right. than the goal being, okay, I'll be happy when. Right. What, that, that's just a load of crap. Like, and first of all, it, it's not true. But second of all, once you achieve it, then what? Then you're hollow and useless. Like that's <laughs> not how that works. Like it's about being happy during. And one of the things mm -hmm. I like to say, you know, if your body were a car, you wouldn't treat it this way. Book style is that it's more fun in the Ferrari than it is in the Ford Pinto, <laughs> the rusty mm -hmm. old beat up Ford Pinto. I'm the same guy, but it's more fun when I'm fit because life is easier when I'm fit. It, it's the same thing. Like I'm the same human personality being shuttled around in a, a meat wagon. <laughs> right. It's, it's more fun when I'm not a suffering clod of ailments complaining that everything hurts. That's just a drag. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, that really just takes, that takes all the life out of you. That just really, that does make you dread getting up every day. Doesn't yeah. it? You know, yeah, so I had I had a you know a couple years ago I had I strained my low back doing something in the gym I zigged and I should have zagged and you know just little things that you don't think about when you have a low back injury like that and it was just a pulled muscle I told my doctor about it, it was a pulled muscle so it wasn't like anything that was going to cripple me or anything but little things like getting in and out of your car yeah 
you know, because you have to lean over and then you stretching yourself out and then suddenly you feel this lightning bolt go up your spine. It's like, oh my God. Wow. (laughs) That's a crap way to live, man. Mm -hmm. That's a drag. And I've been there. Like I, I broke my back in high school. I was, I I was into gymnastics for a while when I was in in high school and I did a Russian move on the vault and I opened my pike too soon and my hands missed the vault and I landed flat on the vaulting horse facing the ceiling. And I, I cracked the tops and bottoms of T12, L1, L2 and cracked L1 and half. And I did this and for, and my doctor was like, yeah, you've destroyed your back. Don't ever play sports. You'll probably be in a wheelchair by 40. You got to be super careful. And I was like, okay. So then I was like, didn't do anything and all my muscles, my, my core got weak. And then when your core is weak, your back hurts all the time. Yeah. And so, go ahead. That, that, that just, that just amazes me. I hear this so often, even like people I've talked to here, people I've talked to like out there, it's just, it just amazes me how quick doctors can be to write someone off. You're in high school, Yeah. you're a kid, you know, it's like, just give up on everything and you're going to be in a wheelchair when you're 40. What kind of outlook is that to give? It's brutal. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just, Oh my God. It's a hundred (laughs) percent ridiculous. And, and they do it all the time. It's insane. It's, um, it drives me bananas that, that people do that. Doctors did all the time. I, I blew up my ankle in a, in a volleyball tournament, um, like 15 years later as an adult. And I was told by three different doctors, well, you'll never run again. You've destroyed your ankle. I just kept looking till I find a physiotherapist that said, well, it's a mess, but I think we can bring it back if you're willing to do the work. And I did exercises every freaking day for eight months. And I've done eight Ironmans, four Ultramans, three Ultramarathons, 20 odd marathon, like since then, since I would never run again. Again, you have to have that mindset of like, want to bet? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and right. it's sad that they do that, but they give that worst case scenario as a way to protect themselves. Because if they say go out and run and then you do hurt yourself, then it's like, you said I could, I don't know, maybe that. I don't understand that mentality either, Sean. I don't get it. Because that, to me, that's the dumbest thing well, that, in the world to say to a 15 year old kid. Right. That probably is a good part of it. I don't know what it's like in Canada, but I know that malpractice, medical malpractice uh, lawsuits here are out of control yeah. and you know what doctors pay in um malpractice insurance is hellacious yeah because they need the coverage because for that very reason totally but yeah but i know that's that's the situation here in the states i don't know about canada but that's totally the way it is here. it's along the same lines they're covering their own butt right and mm-hmm. then you know and there's they got medical boards that say you have to say this you have to say that you can't say this i don't know whatever i i whatever. I don't know. I just, I think we've failed to understand the capacity of the human body to adapt and improve and, 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 and heal. It's, it's, it's amazing. Like I have a client right now that his wife came to me two years ago to, cause she's a runner. She was a runner and she was having really bad knee problems. And she'd been seeing a physiotherapist and a supposed run expert, but nothing was helping. And, um, you know, he was like, well, your sartorius isn't pulling. He was doing like talking about all the deepest tissue layers and elements or whatever, but they, she was still, her knee still hurt. And nothing was changed. So she heard I was a good running coach. She came to me. I did a video run analysis. I said, oh, this is what you're doing. We'll just change this, this, and this about your running form, how you run, and mm-hmm. you won't keep creating that problem. 
and we did strength training exercises to to fix muscle imbalances and she's started running pain-free and then she starts like hey will you coach me too i want to do an ultra run great i want to do a 100 kilometer like a 60 mile run yeah great so we trained her up and she did that that 60 mile 100k run and she was i think top 12 or something she did really well and she's like okay coach i want to i want to i want to train for the big one i want to do a hundred miler, 160 kilometer run in the mountains and a thing called Sinister Seven with 24,000, 27,000 vertical feet elevation gain, super hard race. And I was like, yeah, so we trained for that. And in the middle of the night, a big thunderstorm hit and she twisted her ankle a little bit, but she carried on and, but she didn't make the run cut off on the last leg. So she had um, 11 miles to go, 18 and a half K and she got pulled from the course because it was taking too long, she was sprained ankle. So she was pretty bummed out, but we held on and, 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 um, just said, look, don't, don't get down on yourself. And she mentally was strong enough to, to recover back. We got her ankle rehabbed and she started training again. And then she did another, um, uh, entered a different race, a different 160 K hundred miler. And she placed second overall, not second female, second overall, like she was chasing the lead boy, like, <laughs> and and while this was happening, her husband, who was overweight and had multiple both knee surgeries, was like, man, I wish I could go for a run with my wife. She's amazing. And so then he reached out to me and he did my 21-day reset. And when we got rid of all of his inflammation, his knee stopped hurting. And then we started training. And then he's like, do you think I could run 10 miles 13 miles with my wife on the last leg of her hundred miler. I was like, yeah, I think you can. So we spent a couple months and we, I taught him how to run properly with good form. So he's not causing problems. And we started building his run and he ran the final 13 miles with his wife in her, in her hundred miler. And he's now down 35 pounds. He looks like a new person and he's running all the time. And now he has a goal of doing a 35 mile run. Like it's just, that's the part that I get off on. That's the part that I like. But he was told, you'll never be a runner. <clears throat> You've had both knees rebuilt, ACL, all the thing. You'll never be a runner. And he was like, okay, I guess I'll never be a runner. And that's just not true. Mm-hmm. That's just not true. The human body has an ability to heal. But we have right. to give it a chance. Like when I shattered my shoulder... When they, and they put the metal plate into it, the hook plate, I couldn't move my arm more than like 45 degrees for seven months. Then they took the plate out and then I had frozen shoulder. So I went to physiotherapy. And the number of people I've had come to me as a trainer and they're like, and I, and I go through a posture range of motion assessment, find out what joints do what, and where their weaknesses are and their balances, stuff like that. And then they, and I say, do you have any issues? And they say, oh yeah, my knees are bad. So what's wrong with your knees? Oh, I did this, that, and the other. I'm like, oh, okay, well, what therapies have you done? Oh, I tried physio, but it didn't work. Oh, well, how long did you do physio? Oh, I tried it. I went like three times. Seriously, three times? Like physio is not a miracle. It's not Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. It's you know, like it takes a while. So when I had my shoulder rebuilt, I have 100% range of shoulder rotation in my shoulder, 100% range of motion in my shoulder. It mm-hmm. took five years. I went to physio every week for a year. And then I went every other week for the next four years to get full range of motion back in my shoulder. And I had to do like, I remember going to, we had CrossFit in our gym for a while and my exercise for the day was to go and and try and reach the bar 
with my shoulder. And when I finally grabbed the bar, then my goal was to hang on to the bar as long as I could until I had to let go because it hurt too goddamn much. And I got to the point where I could do a dead hang. And once I could do a dead hang, then I started to work on doing pull-ups. And I got to the mm -hmm. point where I could do 100 kipping pull-ups. And it took ages. It took five years. And that's, that's the thing. People need to be willing to do the work. You can't shortcut that. All right. Exactly right. Exactly right. All right. So, Scott, so as we're going to start to wind down now, um, what I like to do, I like to finish off my show because we talk about an awful lot. I like to finish off my show with like a final word from the guest. So, you know, a lot of information was thrown out there. But if there was one thing in particular that you would like people to remember, if they remembered nothing else, what would you say it would be? Oh, wow. That's a good question. That's a difficult question. Um <laughs> One thing to remember. Because you like gave a lot of great stuff already. Thanks, man. Yeah, I kind of don't hold back. I would say it's this. Your body loves you. Your body is doing everything it can right now to take care of you. It is solving problems. It is fighting bacteria and disease and viruses. And it's fighting age. And it's fighting illness. And it's fighting problems. And it's finding ways to let you keep going. Your body loves you. Stop feeding it like an idiot. Stop giving it garbage. Stop giving it things to do. that it should. You shove garbage down your face and your liver has to go into overtime to pull out toxins and process junk and separate anything useful from all this stuff that's just poop. Stop it. <laughs> your body loves you. Only eat food that loves you back. There you go. Only eat the food that loves you back. Yeah. <laughs> get in a, a reciprocal relationship. You know, yeah. you're putting in love. You love the stuff. Okay, well, does it love you back? So yeah. that's a good question to ask yourself anytime you decide you're going to put something in your mouth. But that's a great message, Scott. Thanks. All right. All right. Oh, well, thank you so much, Scott McDermott, for coming, uh, coming around and speaking to us all. It's been a real joy. And... Um, Thank you, everyone who's been listening. This is, again, the Fitness Reborn podcast. My name is Sean. And uh, every all the links to Scott's social media and his website, I'll put in the show notes so you can reach out to Scott. You can take advantage of the 21-day challenge like he spoke about. Um, it will all be there, all ready to be clicked on. And um, for myself, uh, don't forget, I have online programs um, that I have made available that will be in the show notes as well, as it always is. And uh, for anyone that's listening, if you can just help us along with uh, going on to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and giving a review, giving a rating, and just uh, doing what you can to help us along, it really does help. So if you can do that, that'd be great. But uh, again, once again, Scott, thanks a lot, man. Yeah, thank you, Sean. Your great interview. It was a good chat. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate it. All right, everyone. Take care. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget, you can become a supporter of the show by becoming a monthly subscriber. No commitments. Cancel anytime. Every little bit helps, and I'd sure love your support. Also, you can click any of the links to our social media platforms provided in the show notes, and you can email me at renfitnesswarriors at gmail.com. That's ren, R-E-N, fitnesswarriors at gmail.com. If you got a fitness story to tell, I'd love to hear it. And you never know. You might just find yourself on the show. Until next time, train hard. Peace.